Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message from Andrew Cannon. Wow, you guys, I feel like I'm home. Maria, right? Maria, you prophesied over me in Prague. Yes, you did. Well, I hope it was you. And everything you said has come to pass. Everything. You see, there's miracles in the mundane. You was on the merch table, right, putting hoodies on it, prophesying over my life. And there's miracles in the mundane. You spoke directly into my life, and everything you said has come to pass. Everything. Things that I even struggled to believe because I didn't see it with my own eyes. They've all come to pass. You guys are crazy in here. I just want to thank you, Maria. I want to honor you. You guys can take your seats. And it's an honor for me to be here. It really is. And I, and I said this two days ago. And I said it last night. I said it now. I will preach like it's the last opportunity I get. Because it might be. I never know the hour. Neither do you. Let's get this thing on and imitate Christ. This is the reality of it, right? I came in here yesterday and there was about, I don't know, 20 of us, 25 of us, or maybe 20. I'm an evangelist, probably 15. Did someone say 10? And there was this man who just walked in and he went, come on, Holy Spirit. And I went to Alex, who's that guy? He said, oh, that's Tony, that's Dan's dad. I went, ah, it figures. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? Like, ah, it figures. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Dan says, if you've seen me, you've seen Tony, right? It's wonderful what you guys are doing. Dan, Chelsea, as I was on my flight, both of them, quite long, both of them, I had a lot of time to just think, and the Lord revealed something to me. And he revealed something, something to me that stems through your name, Hagen. My, wife, my wife's maiden name was Clark. That was her father's name, but her mother's name. It was a Dutch name, and it com- comes through the Helgarian land and whatnot. So over the course of a number of years, I did a little study on the Vikings. My brother-in-law is six foot seven, 20 stone, massive, kind of like this guy, right? Like, you go, hey. Right, so he's a big guy. And what, what I studied about, can I just come down here, right? What I studied about, what I noticed about this specific group of Vikings, when they would go and invade the land, when they would go and take territory, when they would go and take new ground, they would go on their ships, their boats, you've seen them, right? Those big, huge wooden boats with many oarsmen, and they would go to the land to take the land because they believed it was their right. They would go and they would take it. And there would be 100, 200 soldiers, uh, sorry, Vikings, uh, soldiers, yes, on this boat. And they would go. 
and about one mile or one kilometer off the shore, the man at the back who was rowing stopped rowing. And he would prepare sticks with cloths on. And he would have pots of tar and bitumen. And when the boat would hit the shore and the Vikings would come charging off, this man set fire to the pots. And he would pour them onto the boat. And he would be the last man off. And their only option to retreat had been burnt. They had no other option but to take the land they intended to take. The boat was no more. It didn't exist. They had no way of leaving the land, so they set themselves onto the target. Why am I saying this? Because I believe that you guys are going to take this church into a season where you guys are going to have to just be comfortable with them burning your boats. There's no plan B, right? We're in this. Like, we're in this. And I believe that you guys are going to take land burning comfort zones as you go. Burning comfort zones. Because Jesus says, come, follow me. And I know that some of you may not be able to quote lots of scripture. Honestly, I can't myself. But I try and live the ones that I know, right? I'm not not this guy that can just quote 50,000 scriptures in a sermon. I'm not him. So if you want to take this back now, I don't know. Okay. But Jesus says, come, follow me. And we do, right? It's not a trick question. I may have to ask some of you guys again. You do, right? Okay. So you do. You follow him because Jesus says, come, follow me. And I know that you may not be able to quote all scriptures, but I know that you most certainly live one. Okay. Because Jesus says, come, Follow me, and we do right up to the point of inconvenience. And then the scripture, the scripture that we quote, not with our words, but with our life, is we echo those words back to him. Hey, Jesus, come, follow me. And we take him right back into our comfort zone, and he will go with you. But I'm telling you now that your comfort zone is about to evaporate. It needs to be gone. Because while you're comfortable, the comforter is probably not there. Pastor Tony, I just want to honor you and I want to honor you guys. All of you, really. I want to honor all of you. Your family, we're God's kids and it's a privilege for me to be here. And I just want to share on a a testimony of a school that I was in last year. Okay, and then I'm going to go into my message And I know time is very short. Okay. So I want to share this testimony. We went to this school. We had access into a primary school. The ages are 12 to 16. And we would go in each week for five weeks of a Tuesday afternoon on their lunch break. And there was this guy called Josh. Josh couldn't speak. He had an illness called, I've never heard of it until then, selective mutism. Josh could talk like a parrot at home. But the minute he went out, it was atmospheric. It would clam him up. (laughs) Nothing would come out. So much so that the school 
had a system for Josh to communicate. He never spoke. None of them. Josh was about 15. Been in that school for three and a half years. So we were there and we were like to the boys, hey, would any of you like to see Jesus perform a miracle? Because that's what we do, right? We believe. And they were like, yes. And I'm hoping that someone would come with like a little sore finger. You know, one of the ones, one of the ones we're comfortable in praying for. Anyone got a cold? And someone goes, hey, I know. Josh can't speak. Where is he? Josh. So they go find Josh and they bring him over to us. And I'm like, oh boy. My mate is like, is exposing me just the way he is. He's going, this is amazing. And I'm going, is it? Like, okay, come on. Like, Jesus, we need you. And all of a sudden, I felt really small, which is a good thing, right? So we pray for Josh, and there's about 15, 20 people around. Nothing. Nothing happens. So we pray for him again. And by this time, there's 20, 30, 40 people. All teenagers, all laughing, joking. Nothing happens. We pray for him again. Nothing. One of the lads said, your Jesus doesn't work. Honestly. Not only was Jesus not showing up in the moment, Josh's situation was getting a whole lot worse. It was. Because now we've got a school looking at a kid who can't speak. And actually, it's almost like it's his fault now. Because he's like, and my heart was breaking. My mate, my friend, Steve Kerry, he goes, bro, we need to turn up the risk. I'm like, you're kidding me, man. I'm, I'm, honestly, guys, can I just be vulnerable? Like, I think I'm quite passionate, right? I do. But in this moment, I'm thinking of a plan B. I'm thinking, how do I get Josh into this corridor and get him to a teacher and say, listen, we've just made a spectacle of him. I'm sorry. And my mate's like, bro, we've got to ramp this up. So he stands on the rubbish bin in the playground and goes, hey, everyone, over here, Josh is about to speak. Woof, the whole school. I'm like, amen, bro. I'm with you. Fire away. So we pray for him. Nothing. We pray for him again. Out of Josh's mouth. What's the first thing he shouts in school? Jesus. The whole school goes crazy. The teachers are going crazy. The kids going, Josh is speaking. These kids running up the corridors going, what's he saying? They're saying he's shouting Jesus. They're going, Jesus? This name Jesus was echoing all around the school. The teacher came up to us very somber. She says, what's happened? All of a sudden, I'm full of faith. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you what, what, what we've just done. You know how it is, right? We're full of faith when it comes through. We say, well, we've just laid hands on him. She says, I know what you've just done. I mean, come again. She says, you've laid hands on him, right? And you've believed that the Lord Jesus Christ can set him free, heal him and deliver him. We're like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she said, you've put me in a position. Tears coming down her face. 
She says, you've put me in a, in, in a uh, position. She says, no, this in two hours, I will have to sit in front of the board of this school. And I want to thank you. She says, I'm a backslidden Christian and you've put me in a place where I have to stand up and confess that Jesus healed. This was the principal of the school is now going to go in front of her board and say, let me tell you what's just happened. And this is what we have to do, right? We have to step out. We have to step out. I was just sharing this. I promise I'm going to get to my message in a moment. Okay, I was reading the book of Mark yesterday, the smallest of, smallest of the Gospels. And inside the book of Mark, there's more documented miracles than in the other three. You see, Mark was concentrating more on what Jesus did rather than what he said. Not putting one more importantly than the other, but he comments more on what Jesus did. Now, this is a small book, but the Bible says that we are living epistles known and read by all men. And our life is short, right? So I would say that we're a short book, just like the book of Mark. And I just believe that our life, when thumbed through by the next generation, should be documented like the book of Mark with signs, notable miracles in our life so that when they read through the book of Daniel, they read through the book of Jonathan, when they read through the book of you, Mark, Mark, him, Mark, Mark, Mark. More, Lord. I'm looking good. Okay. okay, so this is what we need. We need miracles in our life, okay? And Jesus is the miracle worker. Okay, so I promise you this is not on the back of the coronavirus. And just so you know, panic buys hit Liverpool. More importantly, it's hit my house. 3 a.m. this morning, my wife was telling me just how much tissue she bought. Oh, boy, it went through there and out there, I can tell you. This passage, this scripture, this message, I want to call it, do not worry. Bible tells us, do not worry. Do not worry. Let me read to you some scripture from Matthew 6. I'll plow right through it and then I'll bring the word, okay? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Matthew 6, verse 28, we're on to. I have another translation that says this. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single smile to your face? Beautiful, right? And why do you worry about your clothes? Clearly, I don't, right? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not spin, nor labor. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor will be dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For even the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows how to feed them, knows that you need them. 
But first seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough worry of its own. Bible, it tells us, the word of God tells us, do not worry. But we do. We do. Go look at the supermarkets right now. I promise you, this isn't tied in with Corona. Like I've preached this before and I just feel like it's apt right now. We do worry. We can worry about our family. We can worry about our finances. We can worry about our health, our relationships, our jobs, our children, our marriage. We can worry. Have any of you ever worried? Okay, that's everyone. Thank goodness for that. It kind of helps, okay? That way we're going. So if you've worried before and the scripture tells us not to, I would make a suggestion that it's possible for us to worry again. Okay? The scripture says, do not worry. I want to help today lift up, lift off a burden of worry. You see, I'm an evangelist, and typically an evangelist would come in with an evangelistic message what equips evangelists and some of the body. Because evangelism's like, ooh, it's a strange way to the, the other four. But this one, I believe, can touch all of you. Because by your own confession, we have all worried at one point in our life. So whatever is frustrating you, whatever is irritating you, I believe we can deal with it today. Frustration is completely different than irritation. Frustration, I hope you are. You may think, why? Frustration only comes from investment. You say, what do you mean? Do any of you have $20,000 invested in gold? No. Great. None of us in here are going to worry when the gold crashes. Why? Because we have no investment in it. Investment only, frustration only comes from investment. Now let me tell you something. Jesus has purchased you. At the highest price, you was purchased at the highest price. He's now invested his purchase back into the market, back into the world. Not of it. He's took his investment and invested it back into the community. And the frustration that you feel is because you know that Christ is not getting his return on his investment. You know there's this internal wrestle with you that you know Christ is not getting his return on the investment he's made in your life. And that's why frustration is a wonderful thing. It only comes from investment. I want you to know that you've been invested into the kingdom of God to bring a return called his inheritance. And it's a beautiful thing, but we do worry and worry can hinder us. Worry can hinder us. Worry is concern on steroids. <laughs> Two completely different things. Two completely different things. Concern is when we see an issue, when we see a concern, when we see a brother and sister in need, and we see the need and we're concerned and we can stand with right standing with our Father in authority and address the need and the concern biblically, peacefully, and authoritatively. 
knowing who we are. We see the concern, we know who we are, and we can address it knowing who we are. Worry, on the other hand, you see the worry, worry grips you and starts to control you, and you start looking like the world. Do you know what the definition of worry is? To be torn in two. A house that is, will not stand. Double-minded, unsteady in all of his ways. Guys, I want to share a testimony with you. I want to share a testimony with you when I did the work of God without the power of God. I want to share a testimony with you where I dropped the ball big time. Okay? It's not normally the messages preachers want to preach. They want to preach the, you know, yeah, I might get one shot at this. I at least want to look decent. Do you know what I mean? But I want to look decent in front of him. Okay? I applied for a job in Range Rover in 2010. And they told me that I had to come in and do some tests. And I did five tests, mathematics, English, something on a computer, a practical test, and something else. And I passed the five tests. Honestly, it was quite simple. It really was. It wasn't a skilled job that I was going for. So I guess the bar didn't have to be too high. And I breezed through them. And the woman who did the test and the gentleman kind of told me, Anton, that you've got the job, but you have to wait. We don't like waiting. I thought, I thought patience was for lazy people. <laughs> oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, just do it while you're waiting. You know, that's kind of... So this lady says, oh, you'll hear in two weeks. And I wanted the job. I'd just met my Jen. I wanted to get married. I wanted to buy a house. I'd just come out of rehab. I was a cocaine addict, alcoholic, self-harmer 10 years ago. I was living on the streets, three weeks to live. A mess. I get cleaned up by the blood of Jesus, set free. And then I leave. I leave this rehab and I go and apply for this job. I pass the tests and they kind of tell me, you've got it. You will hear back in two weeks. Two weeks passes no sign. So I'm like, okay, that was like my max. Like, I'm done now. I need to know. But something in me said, wait, just wait a little while. I guess it was the Lord, right? So another two weeks pass, nothing. That's a month. A month's a long time, right? Well, it was for me. Another week passes, another week. That's six weeks, another week, seven. Like, that's it, that's completion. I need to call. Seven's completion. That's, that's my faith and perseverance and patience tested. Seventh week, I'm calling them. So I call them and I said, hello. I said, this is Andrew Cannon. I said, I, I applied for the job and like I was kind of hopeful that I've got it. I said, can you put me through to the team to tell me how I've got on? She said, oh, Mr. Cannon, just give us a minute. Come back. She said, oh, they finished now for Christmas they will return in the middle of January. I'm like, who on earth gets four weeks off for Christmas? Like, you're what? I am flapping. Honestly, I'm looking like the world. I'm worried. I'm torn in two. I promised myself that I would never go back into construction. Okay? Guess where I found myself? Back in construction. Why? Because I was pressing God, getting God to hurry up and do my work. But before I went into construction, I had a 
a light bulb came on. I realized that I had a cousin who worked in the office in Range Rover. The job, the place where I was going to start work. So I ring him up and I say, Phil, do we have any Phil's in the house? Do we have no Phil's in the house? Dan, I, wanna, I just want you to know this, bro. I've, I've shared this testimony about 11 times now. And there's never been one Phil in the house. It's crazy. I didn't share it there. It's crazy. There's no Phil's in the house. Amazing that can come really hard down on Phil now. Okay, so I ring Phil. I said, hey, Phil, listen. Do you still work in Range Rover? He said, yeah. I said, I need a favor, bro. I said, I need you to go on the database. This is sneaky, sneaky stuff, right? This is me saying, hey, Jesus, come. Follow me. I said, listen, bro. I said, I need you to go on the database, and I need you to find out whether I've been given a job. Can you do that? He says, absolutely. Two days later, he calls me back. He says, I, have, I don't have access to the system. Give me two more days. The staff will be in, and I can do it. Great. So Phil calls me back, and he says, bro, don't shoot the messenger. That's a bad sign. When someone starts with, don't shoot the messenger, that's, that's, that's a bad sign, right? That's not good news. He says, you don't have the job. I said, that's impossible, Phil. He said, no, it's not. He said, I'm reading your name right now, and you don't have the job. You ready? I'm a believer. Cousin Phil's not. I say to Phil, that's impossible. God's told me. He said, well, why are you ringing me? Do you see what I'm saying about worry? Torn in two, you start looking like the world. You see, because your situation starts controlling you rather than you being in authority, speaking to that mountain and moving it. More often than not, the mountain in our way is us. And we need to cast ourselves into the sea every morning. Hand our day over to the Lord, give it to him and let him reveal our day back to us. So cousin Phil says, you don't have the job. Guess where I go? Back to construction, straight into the lion's den. I'm up, 60, 70 foot up in the air with a harness on. I was a steel erector. I get a phone call off who was my girlfriend at the time, Jen. She says, hey, oh. she says, hey, have you checked your emails? Yeah, I trusted her. I give her access to my emails very early on. She said, have you checked your emails? I said, no. She said, you've, she said, where are you? I said, well, I'm about 76 foot up. With my leg wrapped around out some steel and I'm about to, she said, just come down slowly and check your emails. She says, you've got the job. So I go down and I'm in the middle of nowhere and I start scrolling through my phone to get signal. No signal. Like God is really showing me something. I'm like this trying to pull these gloves off. I'm scrolling it. My fingers aren't working. Use me thumbs, my toes, anything just to try and get this phone. And there it was. Voila. Congratulations, Mr. Cannon. We have given you a full-time position. You start on the 21st of March, 2011. There it was. God spoke 
to me and told me that I was going to get this job. He spoke to me and yet I still didn't believe him and took matters into my own hands, put myself in a place that I knew I shouldn't have been because I wanted to be steps before the Lord. Instead of trusting him. So I ring Cousin Phil. I say, hey bro. Full of faith again. Like a peacock. Because God's come through like he did with Josh in the playground. Full of faith, you know, when you've seen it. I said, hey bro. I've got an email here and I've got the job. He said, well, like I said, why did you call me? He says, let me just see what's happened here because I read your name, Andrew Cannon, and you didn't have the job. He calls me back two days, uh, two hours later. Now, I want you to know, Range Rover were taking on 900 people. A whole new shift. 53,000 application forms went in. Guess what? There was four Andrew Cannons. When God spoke to me and said, the job is yours, my name was on the accepted list. When Cousin Phil did the work of God because I didn't trust the Lord, Cousin Phil was reading from the rejected list. Do you see what happens when you put men in place of Jesus? He was reading the wrong list. Four Andrew Cannons went for the job and only one got it. Three never. Cousin Phil, just seeing Andrew Cannon, didn't bother looking at the national insurance number, date of birth and whatever. He just seen Andrew Cannon and in his head, that's my cousin. He doesn't have the job. Why am I saying this? Because there's a frustration and there's this urgency to want to do what you know that God has called you to do. And you may have looked at 2019 and felt like you've been inactive. Well, maybe he's hidden you. Because all the hell is searching you out to make you look like me 10 years ago. To make you step in front of the Lord and confess to a non-believing world that you need their help more than the God that you believe in. And it's confusing and it's damning. If we believe that God is sufficient for eternity, he has to be sufficient for this moment in time. If you believe that he can get us to heaven, you better believe that he can get us through this earth. And I want you to know that there is things that God has put in your heart. And I'm saying, do not worry. Do not be torn in two. When we're torn in two, we resemble the very world we're preaching to. I've seen it too many times. I've seen it too many times. People doing the work of God without the power and the presence of God. And it's dangerous. It's called burnout. It's called being proud. And sometimes, I have to admit... I can't say for this church because you guys are pretty crazy, right? And the presence of God is tangible. But sometimes we, un, we, we ask why we don't feel and experience the presence of God. And the scripture says he opposes the proud. 
I'm not there. They're doing it on their own. But one day they won't. And they'll call on me. And they will know that I've been there all the way. The Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me in 2010 and told me that that job was mine. And yet I still, I still received more confidence and more peace through an earthly email. Congratulations, Mr. Cannon, you've got the job. The Lord told me that five months prior. It's crazy, right? And honestly, I would like to think I was kind of on fire. Like I'd, I'd only been saved 10 months and I was standing on tables preaching the gospel, but all of a sudden, this little internal battle hit me where I needed something so desperately that I said, Jesus, come and follow me. We're going to do this together. Jesus is like, I can imagine him like this to Peter, John, Mark. He's going to bring cousin Phil into this now. Hey, Thomas, come here, bro. Do you want to laugh? Yep, that'll do it. Watch, cousin Phil's going to say, why are you calling me now? Hey, Andy, why are you calling me? Told you. He knows all things. And I'm telling you now, God is in the business of transforming lives. When I travel, I get to see all different kinds of people, different denominations, God moving in different ways, but the same way, because people need different things from the same God, right? And what I've noticed is sometimes you come across two kinds of people. Peter's and John's. You have Peter. I'll do it. Send me. And that's great, right? I'll do it. I'll even die for you. Amen. I'll never deny you. And you can imagine John going like this. Is he at it again? (laughs) Jesus, bring that chest over here. John, Peter. Peter, I would even die for you. Jesus rebukes him. You have John, on the other hand, who doesn't say a great deal of anything in that context. But one of them make it to the cross. One of them make it all the way to the cross. John, he makes it. Peter died a great death. He was a man of God, but he just had this blip in his life. Know where he rings Cousin Phil? Hey, Cousin Phil, do you think I should go to the cross with Jesus? No, okay. Peter, I will do this. I would even die for you. I'll never, ever deny you. And Jesus shuts him up beautifully. And you have John, the disciple whom Jesus loves. We know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. John, Jesus didn't love John anymore. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Father says, I'm a respecter of no persons. I love you the same as him, him the same as her, her the same as him, him the same as her. Even Alex. But we have John, on the other hand, who makes it all the way to the cross. And this is what I'm going to finish with. And can we have the ministry team here? And we're just going to, just the ministry team come here. If you're here, hey, just line up here. This is what I want you to know. This is where I'm going to. This is what I believe why the Lord has sent me here for the Peter and the Johns. And I want us all to live as bold as Peter's but finish like John. Old, healthy, all the way. 
Let me tell you why I believe Peter denied Jesus and John went all the way to the cross while Jesus was being crucified. Let me tell you why. Because they followed the same Jesus. They lived with the same Jesus, but they were two different kind of people. Peter and John, two completely different kind of people. I believe Peter lived his life and walked his walk through his devotion to Jesus. And I believe John lived his life and walked his walk through Jesus' devotion to him. One of them will get you right to the end. Let me tell you, you don't have enough devotion in you to see this through to the end. When was the last time you was in a secret place? Trust me, it's not meant to be a secret to you. Where is it? Oh, I've hit it. We have to live our life devoted to Christ, but allowing him to be devoted to us because he will lift us up and he will take us right through to the end. Do not worry. Do not worry about those plans, those dreams, your children who have backslidden, your children who haven't come to the Lord, your mortgage. Do not worry. Do not worry about your health. Do not worry about the clothes that you wear. Do not worry. And yet we do. Jesus commands it. Everything he spoke was never open for discussion per se. Never ever do you hear Jesus go, do not worry. Oh, I'm gone. No, I didn't mean it like that. I'm going, let me give it to you another way. No, because uh, I'm going, I don't really know what I'm saying here. This is Jesus. I don't, uh, uh, no. He knew exactly what he was saying. He says, I only say and do the things the Father says. The Father, your Father, my Father. The one that came and got me when I had three weeks left to live. Ooh. He came and got me. He came and got me. January the 21st, 2010. I was a hundred pound in weight. I had a hundred, over a hundred scars in my body and my life was over. And I called on his name. I'd never been to church. I'd never heard the gospel. I didn't know there was a death, a burial, a resurrection. I didn't know the tomb was empty. I didn't know any of you crazy people. Tony, where have you gone? I didn't know any of you that would have stopped and told me. I'd never been to church and a man told me in a rehab. He said, someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. And I knew it was me. I didn't even know Jesus existed. But in that moment, I felt something pulling me in. Now I know it was someone. It was the Holy Spirit bringing me to him. I said, Jesus, if you're real. I can imagine the Lord again with his boys and girls going, hey, he's going to do it now. He's going to call on my name. Come on, let's watch. And I'm like in this little room, a little dining room in a house, never been to church, didn't know the resurrection power, didn't know this heavenly language. Woo. 
Didn't know that existed. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I can imagine the Lord going, yes, I am. Come on, Andrew, just, just call on my name. Just do it. Just call on my name and all of heaven will land on you. I said, Jesus, if you're real, yes, I am. Will you save me? Yes, I will. All of heaven landed on me. The hands of God touched me. Page nine years of addictions out of my body forever. The voices, they stopped. The voices that I could hear for nine years that would torment me. And so they went like this, bro. Like that. Gone. And do you remember when you was a child, you would grab a shell and put it by your ear and you could hear the sea. You know, like that noise. That's what I could hear. My ears were clear. My eyes were clear. And out of my mouth came this heavenly language. Just kept coming out, coming out. Never been to church. Never been to church. Delivered instantly. This is why I don't worry anymore. I took matters into my own hands once and I fell flat on my face. I get the privilege to speak in many services, many denominations, some who don't believe in praying in tongues. And I simply say this, whether you believe in praying in tongues or not, know this, I didn't imitate it. I said the very first person I ever heard praying in tongues was me. Me, little old me, in this little house full of cocaine, Full of drugs and the Lord's gone, I want this one. I want this one. This one needs to not worry anymore. And he lifted me up. If you can do it for me, you can do it for you. If you can do it for you, you can do it for anyone in your life. You heard the testimony. Papa Tony just shared, right, about Daniel. My mother knocked at my house. A year after I'd been saved. I wasn't on the streets anymore. I had a house. I bought a house. Glory to God. And my mother came to my, my house. My mother came to my house. And my wife opened up the door. I met Jen in church. My wife. My wife. It wasn't. Long before that, before I met the Lord, that grown men were urinating on me in doorways. Because I was sleeping in doorways. Just two years later, my mother comes to my house and my wife opens up the door. And my little dog goes out to see what's going on. Just a beautiful family. And my mother's shaking shaking. I thought she'd been in a crash. She's shaking. <laughs> and she says, you, you. And she's shaking. Ooh, this. I said, mom, mom, what's up? She said, you, you. And I'm like, oh my days, what's, what's happened? Have the drug dealers come? I don't know what's happened. It was all dealt with, but I just, fear gripped me. My mom said, you. I said, mom, sit down. What's happened? She said, son, she said, you've left me with no choice but to believe Jesus is real. <laughs> I said, oh, this is easy. I said, as an evangelist, I said, oh, why? What have I said? She said, nothing. She said, you've said nothing, son. She said, but I know 
what has happened in your life and I am left to believe that only a God of resurrection power could do this. My mom says, how do I give my life to this Jesus? On the floor in my house, not in the doorway, in the house, my mother gets on her knees and she cries out to the God that saved me. Why did God save me? Because Jesus died and rose again. He's patient, long-suffering, none of us should perish. And someone just like you told me about Jesus. Someone just like you. Someone just like you. Like you. Man Harbonke says, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Thank God it did. Whatever it is that's worrying you, that thing that's hindering you, I want you to stand onto your feet if you're able. I want you to stand up. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this and other resources and information, go to our website, firechurch.com.au.